That's how I thought about The Hobbit. I didn't know that The Hobbit was split because I know The Hobbit's one book. When I went in, realized thinking that this is just a one one book and then they split into three. I was like, what the fuck is going on? I was so mad because I was, as I was watching it, I had like deep seated anxiety of you got to move this along. Podcast. I am your host, Danny Paul. Sitting across from me here in the Bob Media Studios is the Baron of Bourbon himself, the Rear Admiral, friend of many, the Vice Host Leon Coventry, ladies and gentlemen. Well, I'm honored by that introduction, but I believe that somewhere in there you slipped in an insult. Did you call me the Rear Admiral? Yes, sir. You are the leader of the fleet. <laughs> That's not how I took it, but I'll take it, I guess. <laughs> I am no rear admiral. Most important sir. guy in the boat, man. Who do you think holds up the rear? Oh, okay. Well, then I take that. It, sa- it sounded more sexual than that. I have never heard that term. You never heard the rear admiral? Yeah, you got to look at it. Yeah. No, it's just a term of endearment. It's actually a very coveted position within the Royal Navy. Hmm. Well, thank you. I Happy digress. to be here. While we wait for uh, the other vice host to join us, Mr. Jones is, of course, having audio problems again. Well. Hmm. Does anyone in the Magic 25 have any ability in the IT world that can help out Mr. Jones? It would be nice. It would be nice if the followers of this podcast, who I think we might consider calling the Bobs, <laughs> I think maybe we can pull something from office space. I got a meeting with the Bobs or... Hi, Bob. I like it. Bob. Hey, Bob. What would you say you do here? That we could roll with that. Hi, so maybe, maybe the Bobs have a solution for Mr. Jones. Anyway, we'll bring him in when he decides to join us. Uh, what are we, uh, what are we rocking today, Leon, since we've been out for a couple of weeks tonight, I am going from the whistle pig family, but one that most people haven't tried farm stock rye. So I'm actually not drinking a bourbon tonight. I am drinking a rye and, uh, it's delicious. It is, it's just only 86 proof. So only it's, uh, it's not gonna, it's not gonna knock you on your butt, but it is. It's pretty damn good. Sounds like you're so, violating some of your wife's rules. Isn't rye reserved for Friday? <laughs> she does like the rise tomorrow. Drinking early. So, well, in Ohio, uh, it's Friday. Is that what it is? Ah, yes. They, well, okay. Okay. There we go. Problem solved. <laughs> uh, I am on my latest stop on the Around the Brown World Tour. We are drinking Sierra Norte Yellow Corn Whiskey. De Mexico. Viva Mexico, cabrones! That's how they describe it, yellow corn whiskey. And so it says Sierra Norte, yellow corn whiskey. Mexico, aromas of toasted corn, buttery popcorn, and a hint of caramel. Relaxed, pleasing, and very smooth on the palate with notes of mellow grilled pineapple and subtle red chili spice. Finish is uh, long and warm with honey, allspice, and ash notes. I haven't tasted the pineapple yet, but I'm going to give myself a little bit of a chance. But it's got a hug. Woo! Stings the nostrils. <laughs> Part moonshine sounds like. Anyway, the, we uh, made it. We made it to Mexico. What's the proof on that thing? Woo! 
It's a it's a forty three percent. It's a regular. You went to Mexico and you went for a whiskey, not a mezcal. Well, no, we're we're going around the world, and I wanted to continue our journey, even though we took a fucking month off. Okay, I'm excited to uh, try that one. Yeah, are, are you? Go unless to, you're telling me I should not. I also have Israel and Spain Ooh. on my list before I've officially run out of countries that I can access brown from. Mm. So while we wait for Mr. Jumps to log on, let's uh, let's talk about brown. How you doing? Whiskey and whiskey. This is the darkest brown you got. Yeah. Say, Holmes, uh, where are they hiding the scotch? What about um brown? That's code for bourbon. Great stuff, this bourbon. Comes from a land called Kentucky. Talk about brown. There's a special rung in hell reserved for people who waste good scotch. Scotch? Oh, yes, I, I think so. Could I have one more of these with some booze in it, please? Today's brown banter comes to us from CNN. The Central News Network. This one comes from CNN Business. This one's dated August 31st. I've been holding on to this one for a while. But I think it's critical because we're entering the phase where we're getting into sweater weather. It's starting to get cooler. The Ugg boots and leggings are coming out. The basic of the species emerges from pumpkins, seeks out their Starbucks and their scarves. Bud Light is launching a pumpkin spice spiked seltzer. The article begins from coffee to candy to macaroni and cheese. It's possible to think the pumpkin spice has peaked. Not so fast. Mm -hmm. Bud Light is releasing its first ever hard seltzer featuring the fall flavor. The alcoholic beverage includes a blend of pumpkin, cinnamon, nutmeg, and vanilla flavors that the company describes as literally the taste of fall. The new drink, which will be available nationwide beginning September 6th, which means it's already out there, Bob's. As part of a new fall-themed variety pack. The 12-pack also includes toasted marshmallow, maple pear, and returning favorite, apple crisp. The latter flavor was released last year as part of a holiday theme pack. 5% alcohol, 100 calories. What do you think of this one, Leon? How do you know that's drinking this? Like, I guess I must be beyond the age group that gives a shit about any of this because I... It, we're sitting here jock, talking about brown. We drink brown. <laughs> Sorry. We drink bo- we drink booze that lights us up. Spirits, yes, of course. No, uh, I don't. I don't fraternize in in situations where people drink this. I don't go to parties where people drink this. I, I, I used to go to a lot of tailgates, and I would see some seltzer show up here and there, so that people could survive the entire uh, length of the tailgate and not pass out and throw up on themselves. And that is, I guess, a purpose I understand. I've been out on a boat uh, all day on a hot days and seltzers do hit the spot, but there's not a situation I can think of where I'm like, you know what would make this seltzer taste better? If it tastes like the inside of a fucking squash. Nobody, nobody says that. So I don't, I don't understand the point of it. Uh, I think pumpkin has gone too far and that we need to go ahead and put a pin in this. I hope. I hope it falls flat on its face and we never have to see this again. Yeah, That's how okay. I feel. Gord's got to go. I get it. I get it. Bud Light Seltzer regularly releases variety packs to appease picky drinkers, including new flavors such as cherry limeade and blue raspberry, which sparks thoughts of wine coolers when we were kids. So there is going to be an entry-level drink to get people into the biz, which I, I get it. Uh, I know this is big with college kids, so maybe it's just a youth-driven thing. 
The competition has proved problematic for Boston beers. Truly. Now I didn't know this. I didn't know Sam Adams makes truly, which now makes me a fan of truly. Uh, The company warned in July that the brand was fading in popularity. Hold on. The company warned in July that the brand was fading in popularity because sales was softer than anticipated with the spate of new brands causing consumer confusion. Mm -hmm. Analyst Cohen recently warned that Seltzer's summer slump might not end anytime soon because the category is slowing more dramatically than expected. Well, it's actually a very interesting point they brought up there and, and absolutely not the point of this article and absolutely not what you're trying to bring up here from a topic standpoint. But I think on a different level, we should be talking about, you know, the whole, there used to be this first mover advantage benefit, right? Yep. But information is coming so much faster now yep. that uh, there it's almost not even an advantage anymore to be a first mover. Uh, the Trulies, right? The White Claws, I guess... Their white claw more than anything, they're, they're still hanging in there, but there's so many other options now with Bud Light and Corona, you know, pick your beer brand. Everyone's got a seltzer now that completely mm-hmm. washed out the market. And now, you know, I just, I feel like, I don't know that it's a good thing. You know, a lot of times I'm like, Hey, you know, was it Adam Smith's invisible hand, like bringing all mm-hmm. the competition yeah, yeah. that it makes everything better for everybody. But I feel like it also can hurt. You know, and it, it's washing everything out because we do it so fast now. So I don't know. There was definitely copycats coming into the market. So if we assume White Claw was the uh, the first in and then truly Bud Light, Corona, all of these other copycats came in. Uh, it's interesting here. It says that it's proving to be a strong seller for Anheuser-Busch InBev. And it's the third top selling brand behind White Claw and Truly. So Bud Light Seltzer has taken its place on the podium. I got to say, the Black Cherry Bud Light Seltzer, that, that mm-hmm. creates a convert. That's that's worth the price of admission. But the rest of them, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know what to tell you there. Yeah. But, hey, maybe this will be good. It's I got to tell you, on a hot day, Seltzer's pretty good. You don't want to have a lot of them. And you want to make right. sure you have it like in the pool or something. They, they definitely have a purpose and I agree with you. It's, it's a hot day on a pool or on a boat or, yep. you know, it's, I get it. I get it. I don't want to get rid of the entire line, but I feel like the fad is coming to an end and people are going to go back to reality here soon. There doesn't seem to be a place where this supplants beer. It just seems to be kind of wiggling into its own spot. And, um, I guess if college kids are getting into it, then maybe it's like wine coolers for us. I don't remember liking wine coolers that much, but it was a way to get girls in. So if it's just a way to, you know, you go where the fish are, I guess it's so whatever. It does evoke emotion in me though, because did you catch any of the Ryder cup? Uh, no, but you talked about it. Uh, I'm super obviously massive golf fan, uh, which is weird. I know it's kind of an oxymoron, but love golf, love the Ryder cup, super, passionate about uh go usa the whole thing at the end our team showed their colors the whole time beat their ass it was amazing yeah it was lopsided right it was lopsided was, they absolutely crushed them which was so wonderful since we usually get our butts kicked in that for some reason mm-hmm. but anyway to show our american patriotism and how 
crowd we are that we want it. They're all downing seltzers at the end of it. And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. Like it just took the wind out of my sails. I'm pretty sure one or two of the golfers, I think Brooks is one of them that has some endorsement with yeah. one of these. And uh, I get it. I get it from that standpoint, but I'm still like, come on, you guys are, you just won the Ryder cup and you're downing seltzers. Like what happened to champagne? What happened to got to pay the bills, right? Got to follow the money. Yeah. That, that just, it's just not there. The image doesn't work for me, I guess. Yep. I'm, I agree. Uh, good on you. If you like seltzer, it's nice that everybody has, again, everybody's got their own Brown. So if seltzer is your Brown, good on you. Uh, that wraps up Brown banter and we'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's get into business news. News team, assemble! Let's get down, let's get down to business. And I got news for you. Today's business news comes to us from CBS News. Treasury defense plan to track most bank accounts. Now, this on the surface was uh, pretty glaringly ridiculous, but I guess you want to kind of find some subtext and read between the lines. Uh, I don't really want the government tracking anything I do, but there must be a legitimate intention, right? Flawed and, and fatal as they usually are. The article begins, the treasurer is defending its proposal to track banking information for nearly all Americans after pushback from the finance industry and congressional Republicans made the proposal a subject of heated debate in Congress. A senior treasury official told CBS News that tracking a small amount of information for nearly every bank account in the U.S. would help the IRS spot high-income people who are skipping out on taxes. Tracking the information would also provide additional verification that low-income workers are meeting their obligations. The treasury's proposal has been criticized for a cutoff that appears exceedingly low, just 600 bucks in a bank account or a single $600 purchase would be enough to trigger disclosure, according to an initial plan released in May. Now seems likely that number will rise to $10,000. But the financial industry claims that small business owners and independent contractors would be caught in a dragnet of surveillance rather than the wealthy. What do you think about this, Leon? Okay, well, uh, I feel pretty strongly about minimizing government in general. Uh, I don't know that any of the listeners have already, haven't already tied that to most of my comments already. So do I want Big Brother down on me? No, I don't. I do. I also want to call out that the timing of this isn't just uh, coincidental, right? Uh, we're, we're lighting money on fire from the government, quite literally. Uh, we're experiencing probably one of the largest hyperinflations we'll ever experience or have ever experienced. Um, and Certainly not since the 70s. Quite, yeah, quite literally, uh, we're going to go broke if we don't figure out how to offset this ridiculous spending that's happening right now. So uh, it's it's absolutely uh, on par with what's happening. And uh, they need to do something to try to figure out how to claw a couple extra billion out of us. 
And uh, uh, no, I'm not happy about it. I don't think that anything that the government or any government entity has ever run has ever run efficiently or ethically. Uh, I'm very skeptical when it comes to that. So, uh, and and usually what ends up happening is you get a, a I'm sorry, right? You you pay somebody that goes in there, you give them full exposure to whatever records that they can get their hands on and they make mistakes or they uh, take it with them and do fraud. And, uh, and also I don't really think that it's any of their business, right? You already know what I make. You already capture that, like do the backwards math. Why do I have to also give you access to my accounts and everything else? So I, I don't think it's a, I, I don't know. It's a hill I'm going to die on. I think this was an inevitable step that's eventually was always going to happen. Uh, government always wants more. Just remember, as this happens, the government never backs off, right? They don't ever put something like this in place and then take it away. It's there forever. And then they will pile on the next thing. So that's, that's where I start to get a little bit concerned about it. And, uh, you know, politics aside, you know, it's starting to feel less free. That's a good point. <laughs> so, I mean, a, a government is a government is like any living entity. It wants to survive. It wants to grow. Uh, it's not going to self-impose or unilaterally disarm without the will of some external force, which is usually the voting uh, public. Right. The article goes on, uh, the nation's tax evasion problems come from many places, but one major reason, according to researchers, is that rich people who don't rely on work for income routinely fail to report earnings to the IRS. Well, this is kind of a misnomer because they don't fail to report it. They don't have earnings. So the mm -hmm. 1913 passage of the amendment that established the Federal Reserve and the income tax was hailed as a way to tax rich people. And rich people went, okay, great. You're going to come after my income? Guess what? No more income. Boom. Mm -hmm. And so this, to me, just says we're going to have a lot less bank accounts or the pendulum's going to swing violently the other way. And there's going to be like one person's going to have 50 bank accounts and they're just going to put little tiny bits and pieces in every one of the 50 bank accounts, which if you're paying attention to the news the last couple of years, Wells Fargo got in trouble for just that, opening up like 20 bank accounts under a single customer. Well, guess what? Now you're driving people to do just that, which means the banking sector is going to love it. Because they're going to have right. so many accounts distributed across so many customers. Uh, it just doesn't sound to me. It, it's another reason that, you know, the government comes in and they have well-meaning intentions. But if you're a hammer, everything's a nail. Right. I, just, I think this is going to be a disaster. Uh, and I wish that our friend, Mr. Jones, was in because he is the finance man. He could probably talk to us with some of the nuances from the banking side of things. But I would actually like to hear. I would like to hear from the banking side of things. because. I, I don't know what the IRS can't already see, right? They already know where money's coming in. So what do they have to look at outside of that? And uh, I guess they only see reported things that are coming in. Is that it? I, I don't know. Well, I'd love to know. I, I don't know enough about says. it. I don't know. Uh, because so much income from the wealthy goes unreported, a plan to only track bank accounts of the self-declared wealthy would likely miss a lot of income, which... It is true that the lack of staffing and funding at the IRS allows a lot of tax avoidance, which is mostly legal, by the way, to go towards the tune of something like a trillion dollars every year in missed out tax receipts. And the IRS's lack of knowledge today means it usually has to guess whom it should audit 
which leads to too much scrutiny of American workers who already pay what they owe and too little scrutiny of evaders. So if you have to guess, maybe you don't know what you're looking for. But I think a lot of it comes down to the reason you have a tax avoidance scheme is because you're taxing income. And if rich people say, I don't have any income, then there's really nothing to tax. And of course, if you're in the realm of owning lots of businesses like our former president or in real estate, also like our former president, you have ways of legally avoiding uh, what people on the progressive side of the aisle call the fair share. Uh, and I think this is just, you're adding a lot more moving parts and bureaucracy to something that doesn't really need to be, it needs to be less complicated, at least in my opinion. Well, I think you're bringing up a point that I never thought about until just now, which is, it actually sounds like, okay, you're going to create uh, a law that will generate a lot more data, data that needs to be reviewed and processed and digested. Well, you don't have the manpower to do what you're doing now. So how are you going to process all of this too? So is this just a precursor to the next bill that says, well, we did this now, but also we need $1 trillion because we need to, you know, grow the IRS now to process all this new data that we have access to. You know, I mean, it's just one step and it's just, one thing in front of the another thing. And, you know, we, we keep feeling like, well, we just, we guess we we're kind of pot committed at this point. We just did this thing. Now we got to pay for this. To, and we just keep getting tricked into paying more and more and more for something that we didn't even want in the first place. And I, you know, you know, an argument I hear all the time, and this is on both sides of the fence, like show me the problem, like show point out a problem, the problem you're trying to solve. Or is this just a mythical problem you think that exists? Um, and there's always extenuating circumstances. We're not talking about the onesie, twosie, this, this guy, Bob. Bob did this thing. Bob stole Bob. Okay, we get it, Bob. How many Bobs do you have? Uh, well, we just have Bob. Okay, well, then it's not an issue. You just have one Bob. So we that's where I get a struggle with these types of solutions, trying to solve a problem that may or may not exist at the level that they're describing it to. And it's expensive. Yeah. This shit isn't free. It's not free. Right. Yeah. When you it's cherry cost use of cases, other it's gonna of course it's a well-meaning narrative if you're cherry picking your use cases, but what is the 80-20? Right. I and think you, you know, know what what do rich people do? They buy stuff, right? That's that's a characteristic of being rich. And so you can either you can tax wealth, which means if you accrue so much wealth, the government comes in and swipes off the top. So that means they'll, they'll tax unrealized gains of your equity. Or the other mm -hmm. thing is that you can eliminate the income tax, which I'm a big fan of in place of a sales tax because rich people mm -hmm. buy stuff. Mm -hmm. And if you're worried about the people that don't buy stuff, well, there are already, there are already thieves and miscreants out there that are, that are stealing and bartering and, and that just adds rich people to that class. And if that's the deal, then rich people avoiding Sales tax would be a perfect example for a perp walk because nothing gets rich people in line more than handcuffs walking their way through a, a halo of reporters and news cameras. So uh, it's tracking financial data of people that really aren't that bad. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I hear what you're saying in terms of what, what is exactly what, where does, where does the $600 number come from? 
as misleading as it may be, where does the $10,000 number come from as misleading as it may be? What, what exactly is the transaction that you're concerned about? Because you're just pushing people out of bank accounts. You're pushing them into cryptocurrencies and desegregated finance. You're pushing them into areas where the government can't get to them at all. You know, that's like, you know, you're trying, you are trying when you put rules in place and, and you've been a leader in a company, it's no different for the government, right? When you put rules or policies in place, you're doing it to generate a behavior, right? That's what you're doing it for. What behavior are they trying to generate here? And that's, that's the question we should always be asking ourselves. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you think that all these people that are so good at evading taxes are just going to go, well, I guess we're fucked. Yeah. You got me. You know, or, if you, if you're going to owe even the simplest terms, if you're going to owe $30 to the IRS and you can pay a, a savvy accountant $29 to save a dollar, you're going to, because it's a sunk cost. You're going to spend the money anyway. Why don't right. you spend it to leverage even the littlest bit to get it away from the hands of somebody that you don't think is fiscally responsible with your money? Mm-hmm. So this, this is probably a disaster waiting to happen, but it was low hanging fruit. I thought it'd be easy for us. I really want to get Jones here. I wish Mr. Jones would chime in here. Yeah. Okay. Well, hopefully he'll catch up for the crank file. I could look for something in the crank file. Crank file. Whatever. <laughs> Today's crank file comes to us from Newsweek. So this is one that I have some personal experience with, Leon. Check this out. Jack-in-the-box worker hailed as a hero for giving a woman an entire box of ranch dressing. As he he should be. The article begins, a jack-in-the-box worker has been dubbed a hero after a viral video showed a customer receiving a whole cardboard box full of ranch dressing with her food. The customer had requested a gross amount of ranch, expecting just a few more than normal, but received an estimated 140 sauces. Receiving so many sauces has shocked many, to say the least, with so many constant online jokes surrounding the apparent stingy nature regarding sauces demonstrated by fast food restaurants. I just stopped at the Jack in the Box to get four tacos and asked for a gross amount of ranch, said Beth. The guy comes back to the window and hands me the box. So Beth showed a large cardboard box lined to the top with ranch dips. What am I going to do with all this? Laughing. Of course, what are you going to do with it, Beth? You're going to go home because that's where the condiment should be. And you should go home and eat it there. I have collected sweet and sour sauce packets for my kids because I have gotten chicken nuggets with no sauce. And if you're mm-hmm. going to sell extremely bland food to cast as wide a net as you can for your consumer base, then you're going to have to provide something for your customers with a little more of an elevated palate. And when you ration the condiments that make your food edible, you make a very angry customer base. So the idea that the pendulum is completely swung uh, I went to Taco Bell two times last week and I ordered the same thing because they don't do double decker tacos anymore. So I've downgraded to just soft tacos and I end up getting like four or five of them because they're tiny. And again, see above wide mm-hmm. and net as possible. So I ordered tacos and they're like, Oh yeah, you're going to get one sauce with each taco. I was like, no, no, man. Can you, can you double up my sauce please? And the kid goes, yeah, man, I got you. Next thing you know, two handfuls of sauces come through the window and dumped in my lap. And I'm like, nice. Okay. Great. So now I got a cup holder full of Taco Bell sauce in my car that I got to figure out what to do with. Let me counter that argument. Today, uh, the office ordered Arby's and I was very clear. I like the Arby's roast beef sandwich. By the way, not sponsors, but we'd love you to be. This great, Amy. Maybe not after this comment, Mm -hmm. but (laughs) 
got got the Arby's roast beef sandwich. And I said, the Arby sauce is the best in the world. Got to have it. I mean, that's what makes the sandwich. Make sure you get Arby sauce. They gave us one Arby sauce for every two sandwiches we ordered. It was pathetic. How is that enough? Pathetic. And we even said. Garbage. We need extra. Garbage indeed. So this story hits me right to the core, man. <laughs> right to the core. <laughs> And it's very relevant and timely. Despite worries that the worker may lose his job, Jack in the Box was seemingly okay with the gesture as the official TikTok commented, make sure you keep it refrigerated along with laughing emojis. Replies to the video ranged from workers claiming that Jack in the Box instructs workers to essentially give as many sauces as the customer requests, to customers claiming that they've been charged Smart. for extra sauces in the past. Smart. The video has garnered 3.9 million views. This move by Jack in the Box is vastly different to that of many other fast food restaurants, which instead find themselves the butt of online jokes about restricting sauces. It's hard to put a number on just how many sauces each restaurant gives out with no official clarification online, and stores often have their own rules because they're franchised. McDonald's describes itself on its website as a premier franchising company around the world, with 90% of U.S. restaurants owned and operated by franchisees. This means it is essential up to the individual owners to decide whether to charge for sauces or not. However, some meals do come with sauces in every location, including chicken nuggets and chicken selects. So another funny sauce story, and this happened a little over 20 years ago. So this, this sauce epidemic has been happening for a while, but our good friend, Sal mm -hmm. was with me. Uh, we were man. in the, the great state of Florida, which we praise on a, on a daily basis. And uh, yeah, so we were out there and, uh, went through uh, McDonald's and uh, Mr. Sal ordered his normal Big Mac, whatever meal, large fries, whatever. Mm -hmm. But then said, can I get, he said at the point, at this point, it was at the loudspeaker that we weren't even at the, at the window yet. Mm -hmm. And he said, can I please get some sweet and sour sauce as well? And then we came around and there was no sweet and sour sauce. And he said, uh, there's no sweet and sour sauce. Can I get some sweet and sour sauce? And person said, but you didn't order any nuggets. And he goes, I understand that, but I, I like to eat the sweet and sour sauce with my fries. And he goes, but you didn't order any nuggets. <laughs> and he goes, can I speak to your manager? Manager comes over. Oh, hold a Karen. Sterling, sterling piece of, uh, of managerial talent comes up specimen good call specimen with his super powerful uh card on a retractable mm -hmm. leash mm -hmm. and uh rolls up and says mr sal says hey i just i just want to i don't even care if i have to pay do i have to order nuggets just to get some sauce I'll, if that's what it takes i'll take a four-piece nugget he's obviously being a total smart ass he's like well you you didn't order any nuggets, so we can't give you any sauce. And we just fucking peeled away. Like it was so ridiculous. Did you get the food? That, well, we, we got the food at that point because we were looking in the bag and we didn't have any sweet and sour sauce. Ah, okay. right. And I'm like, what in God's name? Did you pay? Well, we paid at the first window before oh, we okay, get the right, food. Right, right, very right. smart. The transaction us. is complete. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We just got screwed. It's basically what happens. So McDonald's should be ashamed of themselves ashamed of 20 years ago. And I don't know that it's changed that much, but I don't know that they're making 
<laughs> it's not that big of a loss. No, I'm I sure mean, some bean counter is ridiculous. Some bean counter on some point said if we only hand out two instead of three packets, we're going to save $30 million here. I know that. That's how that happens. It's not real math. It's funny math. And then all the the people pat themselves on the back that are sitting at the the big long table up at the corporate office and say, yeah, yeah, we did something good here. Yeah. All they did is just damage their brand. It's just, a, it adds to a shitty customer experience. I've, I've worked at two different fast food establishments, as you know, and I used to just say, how many you want? Yeah. And somebody would say, well, I want, I want three per taco. And you think, great. You got five tacos. That's 15 sauces done. And you just kind of grab what you think is 15 and you dump in the bag or you can count it out. Depends on how you want to handle it. But, you know, somebody goes, oh, just give me a bunch. Then that gives you leverage to assume what a bunch means. And that's, you know, that's good customer service. It's what the customer wants. They paid, you know, don't make a big deal about it. But, you know, when you nickel and dime them, it's the same reason that, you know, airlines and a bunch of other industries are getting angry customer reviews. It's like, come on, guys. Do what the customer wants. You have some very unique history at what I believe to be the best fast food restaurant of all time. Mm-hmm. And it's the reason I believe that is because everywhere I go, every chain I ever have been to, they are very kind and, and quick. And the quality is as kiss, consistent as any restaurant, let alone fast food restaurant. And you were, do they have a different onboarding program? Yes. Like how do they get that level of talent? Uh, you're referring to In-N-Out Burger for those of you on the West coast from Texas to Oregon to Utah, they have the best associate training program on par with, and probably competing with Chick-fil-A. And I have yet to see anything maybe outside the Apple store where customer experience is at the forefront of everything they do. There is Mm -hmm. no beware of fraud. There is no catch them in the act. Like you get at a hardware store or, or, or a big box retail store. You don't get any of that. You don't get any of watch out for asset protection or protect the bottom line, or this is our house. None of that crap. It's give the customer what they want. And if we become a victim of fraud, it's one out of a hundred. So we can satisfy the 99 others. And it's just good business. Hmm. And I would counsel that to anybody running a a successful business right now is put up with the fraud so that you can make joy a thing for your regulars because your regulars are the ones that are going to talk about you. And the one that commits the fraud, nice people are going to go, yeah, great. Good for you. And if they're a regular fraud, the court of public opinion is going to come down on them. So the whole idea of catching somebody in the act, hire somebody to do that and let everybody else do their job. Right. So I love it. Bravo to the TikTokers giving away too much sauce. I don't know what I'm going to do with 30 packets of hot sauce, but guess what? I got them now and it's on me to figure out what to do with them. And you feel better about your experience. I do actually, because now I want to go back to that Taco Bell, knowing that I already have sauce on the car. So when they go, would you like sauce? No, man, you're good. You just saved the company money. So that wraps up the crank file. Let's get on to because Florida. This one comes to us from Florida Keys News uh, in partnership with the Miami Herald. This is a tough one, Leon. This is, this is pretty nasty. But again, this goes to the type of shit that we see coming out of Florida. I mean, bear in mind, this is the state that leads the nation in public masturbation. So when we talk about the deviance that is the Sunshine State, uh, 
This one should come as no surprise, even though it is horrible. Uh, I don't issue trigger warnings on this pod. You should have an idea of what the E in explicit means, but trigger warning just in case. The headline begins, she thought a man was rescuing her in Key West, but she was attacked again, police say. A woman being sexually assaulted on a Key West street thought another man who suddenly appeared was about to rescue her, but instead he took her to a city landmark and attacked her again. The second man in a silver SUV drove her from a spot near Monroe County Courthouse to the southernmost point marker off Whitehead Street at the edge of the ocean. There, he dragged her out of the vehicle with his hand over her mouth and assaulted her behind a large replica buoy where tourists line up for a vacation photo during the day. The report released by Key West Police Department on Tuesday contains explicit details describing violence that starts in Duval Street. It also reveals that the police have video footage that identifies the two suspects and helps explain the crimes that were reported early morning hours of September 10th. It goes on to name two individuals in their 30s who were arrested on the charge of sexual assault. And I'm sure they locked him up and threw away the key. Well done, Florida. I sure hope so, because look, this is so fucked up. You know, trigger warning. Sorry. Fucked up. <laughs> this, this is somebody taking advantage of a weaker person. What's the most striking thing about this? And I don't know if anybody else caught this while. Uh, while Danny was reading this story, but as he goes through it, he had anywhere he could go where he chose to go to defile this poor woman was a huge landmark for tourists, a replica buoy where tourists line up for photos during the day. That's where he decided, you know what? I'm going to ruin this person's life and get my rocks off. It's a whole different level of insanity. And it's, I don't understand. I, I can't wrap my head around any of these people's minds when they're doing this, but that just seems especially what the fuck is going on in Florida. Right? What is going on? It's warped. That's warped. Police said they have video from the webcam at the landmark that shows him dragging her behind the buoy while she was clearly trying to pull away. The attack lasted several minutes. Um, The perpetrator, the guy, the number two asshole, repeatedly told them the woman did not scream for help or fight like someone who is being raped does. The report says the way they do in the movies. People know that. Yeah, yeah, there you go. That's uh, and so he's like, well, she wasn't screaming like they do in the movies. So obviously what I was doing wasn't wrong. I mean, because come on, Florida, because Florida nailed it. Shame on you, Florida. <sighs> horrible, horrible, horrible. Uh, iPhone video capture clues. So again, you know, something like this goes down. There is going to be lots of evidence. The police have webcam footage. They've got security cam footage. They've got people with iPhones. They could hear struggle. Again, when you do it by a tourist attraction, there's probably going to be tourists there all bad all bad but the good news is she should be seeking some help and these two are behind bars so well done florida that's probably the darkest florida crank file we've gotten into but the state has its quirks doesn't it it's it's dark it's dark and it's actually a a nice public service announcement so i think we all thank you danny Mm -hmm. that uh, just because somebody's saving you doesn't mean they're actually saving you especially in florida yep go out with friends stay in groups (sighs) no matter where you are. Yeah. That wraps up the crank file. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back. Let's get into parenting. We can make kids right now. That's why we're here. It's not the years, it's the mileage. Today's parenting comes to us from the Wall Street Journal. It is an article by Lee Hawkins titled The Debate Over Civics. Civics is a topic that's usually reserved for maybe juniors or seniors in high school. It's certainly not something that's established at the lower grades. You may get kids that understand the structure and function of government at a very high level, but they don't get into actually what it means to be a part of a civic society. You never get into discussions about the social contract, and you certainly don't understand how the public servants that work for you as a taxpayer and a voter, you certainly don't have any understanding of how that structure works uh, without any kind of deep inquiries. I didn't really learn about it myself. I had a half a semester class in 12th grade on civics, and I didn't really get into it till I went to grad school to really understand how the government works, the function, the org chart, uh, things that go back and forth. So the article goes on to say, how do Americans on opposite sides of the culture wars find common ground? How do we strengthen the country's constitutional democracy? For many education experts, the answer is to start in the classroom. In March, 300 scholars, educators, and practitioners outlined a long-term vision to rework K-12 civics education in America, called the Educating for American Democracy Initiative. The same month, Democratic Senator Christopher Coons and Republican Senator John Cornyn introduced the Civics Secures Democracy Act, which calls for a $1 billion investment in teaching the U.S. history and civics at the K-12 level. The growing efforts of teaching children and teens about the workings of government history and civil debate could change the focus of curriculum, as well as reshape how a generation thinks about the nation. The federal government now spends five cents per student per year on civics compared with about 50 cents on STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. So we're getting one tenth dedicated to how the government works, which we just did a segment on the government, how big and sprawling it is. Uh, One tenth of that versus what goes into science and technology. And uh, I got a couple of thoughts on this, Leon, but why don't you jump in? I think that, you know, I read this before we, we came on, which is unusual. I know Danny likes to spring <laughs> some things on me, uh, but this time he gave me a homework. Again. I'm a little bit uh, torn between it because I think the messaging is correct. And it, where I get torn is the inflammation implementation of it Ah, do i think that that kids k through 12 should have a better understanding of our government the three branches how it works where the constitution comes in place where the bill of rights come in place how does a bill become the law we all did the i'm just a bill on capitol hill which by Mm -hmm. the way one of the funniest saturday live episodes was when Obama did the first executive order, he's like, I'm just a bill. <laughs> he said, I'm an executive order and I pretty much just happened. So that was, that was, I just cracked up because it's true. Like all these things exist. And then there's also these other things. So, uh, and, and I'm still learning and I actually am a little bit pissed that I didn't know more about it. Uh, and you have to do your own research as an adult because it's really kind of an afterthought or a side thing or, you know, it's, I wouldn't call it an elective, but it definitely feels like a forced subject that you just have to get through mm-hmm. uh, describing the three branches. And then you, if you can answer which ones they are and what purpose they serve, you can move on. But you don't really know how they come into play and what power they have and what, what abilities they have to both um, influence and, um, and block things 
that may be uh, things that you're interested in. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I'm constantly, I have a, this debate with Triple B all the time. Now that I am the age that I am, right? We're in our 40s. And uh, for the, the first time for me, I'm incredibly more in tune to politics. Mm-hmm. Now, the question for me is, is it because of my age? Is it that I don't like the loud music and I want the kids to pull their pants up and I don't want you to talk rude and all that other bullshit that goes along with being 40? Or is it just a really crazy fucking time in civics and government and our country's progression? You know, there's arguments. Both? It's a little bit. It could be a little bit of both. I, I talked to my 92 year old grandmother like, is it just me and my age group or is, is shit really upside down right now? And she says shit's really upside down right now. So at least I get that right. 90, she's been around 92 years and she's saying that, that, you know, you better listen to the drums cause shit's about to go down because mm-hmm. we're, we've never been more divided as a nation. So it's, it also means that if, if you learn it correctly, and and that's again where I, I struggle with this argument and, and where a lot of the both sides struggle, right? We've heard all about critical race theory and teaching that in school and all these different things. And all it is is political BS, right? That, you know, they don't want the other team's message being pushed down to their kid. And I am for that 100%. And I, what I mean by that is I don't want to, I don't want a left message or a right message being pushed. I want the facts being pushed so that they understand how the government works and they can make their own determination on what that means. And that's where I think a lot of people struggle right now um, because there is no such thing. You know, I I know that we all feel like we all feel that there's some, level of ethics and uh, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I believe that bias exists. I believe that bias exists, uh, especially in teaching. I think that's why a lot of people go into teaching so they can teach the message uh, that they believe that needs to be taught. A lot of trouble at the college level right now with bias. Yeah. And I think that that's where I struggle with it. And, but I do 100% believe that every American who has the opportunity to have an education, which all Americans should have that opportunity, should know how the government works inside and out. So uh, I guess that was a very long winded way of saying, yes, the message needs to be taught. No, I don't believe it's being taught correctly. And no, I don't trust our system to teach them correctly. I remember two distinct things when I read this article. Uh, and I'm going to close with a, with a pretty good paragraph from uh, one of the people they interviewed for it. But I remember two distinct things in the last 10 years. One was Richard Dreyfus, the guy who was, Ass. I mean, he was, uh, he was in Jaws. And he kind of <laughs> pops up in these kind of various roles that are, you know, he bounces back and forth between serious and quirky. And he kind of, he went on Bill Maher's show a while ago. And what he talked about was the lack of civics education. That is kind of what he had dedicated himself to in his kind of post, uh, his post acting renaissance, so to speak, because he had dedicated himself to a civics education. And Bill's funny about that 
to be completely honest about Bill is he has guests on that he really doesn't know what to do with. He's like, Oh, this is Richard Dreyfus. He's, he's, he's kind of an important guy. I don't know if I think he's important, but he's important enough that, you know, maybe the producer told him to come on or maybe he was a softball and maybe he just brought him on to fill a slot and, and Dreyfus broke into a lecture on the importance and necessity of a civics education to the point of where he kind of monopolized the conversation. And it took mm. Bill a while to rein him in and kind of say, all right, cut his mic. He's done. Uh, and the second thing that surprised me was, do you remember Dave Chappelle's monologue on Saturday night live right after the election? Which one? The most recent right after Trump's election. Okay. He yes, got up and uh, he was talking about a bunch of different subjects. And I said, well, what do you think about Trump? And he kind of gave the standard canned answer that most people give is I want him to succeed for the American people. Cause people said that about Biden too. It's a nice thing to say right after election, because you don't know, you don't know mm -hmm. if it's going to go to hell in a handbasket or if it's just going to be a bunch of political wrangling back and forth. But I do remember one thing very specifically that Chappelle said was if anything, all of this outrage has created a more informed voter mm -hmm. because there's probably a ton of people who are like, how the hell did he get elected? Because we've talked about this before you and I, it was yeah. the it was the evil of two lessers. Like nobody wanted either of these candidates in the 2016 mm -hmm. election. So I pulled something up on the screen for you to check out, and I didn't get a chance to send it to you earlier. But this is from the Annenberg Public Policy Center and Axios News, and it's a survey of 1,500 adults. So it crosses the Z-score threshold of a realistic population sample. And the heading of the survey says the share of Americans who can name the three branches of government. And you see that dip. You see when that dip was sometime between 2013 and 2016, about 10% of the population failed to be able to name all three branches of the government. And if any of you bobs at home are scratching your heads, the three branches of the government are the legislative, the executive, and the judicial. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> there was a moment there where the delta between people who couldn't name all three and the people who couldn't name any was huge until a point where you can kind of guess, Leon, right about 2018, the gap flipped hard. And if those of you at home could see this graph, which you could see is right around 2018, Leon, what do you think? Yeah. I can go right around that. 2018, there was a spike in the amount of people that could name all three and it went through the roof. And if well, you're looking at Kavanaugh a floating in, average right? of about 37 or 38%, it is currently at 56% of people can name all three branches of government. And the percentage of people that can't name any branches has dropped from a steady 35, 36 to 20. So in terms of whether or not civics is important, you're already seeing it. And so I thought this was a necessary topic for parenting because as we raise our children, love it or hate it, you got to understand how the government functions. That was, mm -hmm. that was a key learning lesson for me in grad school was uh, I got up in front of my professor at the time who was teaching civics and ethics. And uh, he said, uh, why'd you take this class? And I said, well, I need it for my degree. He goes, that's it. I said, yeah, I mean, I'm not a big fan of the government. I think there's a lot of inefficiencies and it could be smaller. And, you know, I gave him the typical, um, libertarian conservative argument. He said, that's great. He says, you should know why you hate it. And that woke me up. 
And I paid a lot more attention to his class after that so that I could understand the inner workings of, you know, know your enemy. If you hate something, then you should be an expert on it. Right. Same way that prisoners know the legal code. Um, understand why you don't like it. So I love the concept of a civics education. Understand how the government works so that you can know why you don't like it. You know what? I'm a big fan of the phrase, don't hate the player, hate the game. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, kind of to piggyback off of your comments, know the game, right? Know the game you're playing. It's a lot easier to play, right? Don't, don't try to change the rules. You, you have toddlers. I have a toddler. You play a game. The most frustrating thing about playing the game is when she's like, mm, yeah, but now we're going to do this. Well, no, you don't because the rules are this. Yeah, but we're going to do this now. And I feel like a lot of what we're dealing with today falls in that realm where mm-hmm. people who don't understand there are rules in place uh, just because you don't like it or you tweet about it or you Facebook about it or you Instagram about it or you go out and hold a sign in front of something and you still have to understand the framework of rules you're bitching about. And I, I think that this is a very valid argument. Uh, you need to know what you're trying to fix, right? You need to know what you're trying to um, address. I don't think the framework's broken. I think that nobody knows how it works. So uh, obviously from this graph, uh, we are exceedingly fantastic at 56%. Mm-hmm. That's pretty sad, you know? Highest it's ever been, 56%. 56% of It kind of goes to one of you, well, at least which, since 2006 when this data was being tracked. Uh, what it goes to, I think, is one of your earlier loads from a few episodes ago about staying in your lane. It's like, if you don't know what you're talking about, shut the fuck up. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't like the government, you need to be an expert on the government. Right. Otherwise, you don't know what you're talking about. So have hey, some domain up. expertise if you're going to have a deeply held opinion on something. Otherwise, it's hearsay and, you know, all of the other problems that go with uh, things like social media and, and cable news is it's your if you're looking at things kind of myopically or through a very fine singular lens, you want to have a kind of a wide breadth of education. So if you want to understand what it is that the government's doing and why it's doing it, you probably want to have a good a functional idea of how the government is structured. So, for example, uh Former President Trump did a wonderful job of shrinking the government, but he didn't do it on purpose. He did it because he didn't know what the fuck he was doing. Mm -hmm. And so he accomplished a goal that many would agree with, but not because he was actively working on it. It was because he didn't know what he was doing. And so if you accomplish a goal by competence versus incompetence, does it matter if you achieve the desired result? And I wonder about that. Do do you want is the result so critical that you would allow a horrible job done to kind of, you know, fumble into it? You know, a broken clock is right twice a day. Yeah. Well, you're also saying, does the, do the ends justify the means is what you're saying. And in most cases I would probably say yes, but is that good for the long term? Well, luckily for us, there is no long term. Eight, eight years is all you get. Yep. Max. So, which should be that way for all elected individuals. Preach, but that's a whole different political that's right. conversation. Different, different, different structure. <laughs> anyway, that wraps up our parenting segment. We'll be right back. 
And we're back. It's time for Leon Loathes. So far, Danny, I haven't heard a single logical reason. No, no, don't accept this. It's frustrating. And we haven't cured cancer. We have not cured cancer. I don't know the answer. I'm just ranting about it. I'm going to have to ask you, Danny, if I have I talked about mental health yet? I don't think so. Has that been part of my rants yet? Because it's been really irking me lately. Uh, it's it's actually something, you know, I, I guess I'll be a little vulnerable. I also have had to deal with some mental health issues myself. Uh, it's something that I never thought I would ever have to deal with. I mean, in the last and, 18 months, who hasn't, right? Right. And that's why it's important that we talk about it now, because you have to, you can't dismiss people's mental state during what might be one of the toughest things we've ever had to deal with. We're in the middle of a pandemic, rapid inflation, pick your country. It's upside yeah, down right now, right? You know, we're at the threat of war all the time now. Are we going to have to go fight? Is China going to take over Taiwan? Who knows? Is Australia upside down? Who knows? You know, uh, all these things are going on politically. And then also, hey, by the way, uh, stay in your house, get a shot. If you don't get a shot, you can't, you can't go make a living. Uh, make sure you wear a mask. Don't wear a mask. These people say you should. These people say you shouldn't. Constant information being thrown at you all the time. On top of what we already had to deal with, which is an incredibly stressful life, right? That all still exists. None of that went away. We just put all this extra weight on top of us. And I'll tell you, um, with the information that we get as quickly as we get it now, as quickly as we process it now, it has a long term effect on how we function as human beings. And it's not, it's not fair to say that we're any more stressed today than maybe the, the farmer was 200 years ago. Mm -hmm. But I also think we have a lot more on our mind. And when you start to think about mental illness, that's what I'm talking about. Right. And there's so many things going on. We have genetically, you know, we are getting taller. We're getting bigger. We're getting heavier, right? That's genetically happening. Mm -hmm. What we're not talking about is what are we doing to our brains while this is happening? Our brains are becoming quicker and faster and we have to process more information quicker and faster and quicker. And if you don't think so, I wish we had a time machine to go back 200 years ago That's and for have sure. conversations at the same pace we're having at now. So. There is an effect going on and you have to be sympathetic to people that have mental health issues. It's as, as real and as impactful as any physical issue you've ever heard of in your life. As a matter of fact, in a lot of cases, it's worse, right? If your arm is broken, you can put a cast on. You don't have to explain yourself to everybody you walk by. They're like, hey, you might, your arm's broken. What happens when your brain's broken? Mm. And by the way, they break. They do they break. Uh, you know, we have a, a close mutual friend, no way in the world would you have ever expected, uh, this person's brain to break most mm. positive person out there in the world doing amazing things, meeting amazing people, just a ray of positive sun sunshine. A couple of years ago, killed himself. Why? We don't understand it. We don't understand it. 
mental health was absolutely a part of it. And it's something that we can't just dismiss and we can't disregard and we can't blow off. And you can't, you know, we're, we're, if we spent one tenth of the amount of time talking about mental health issues right now that we're talking about LGBTQ or black, black life matters or women's rights or any of these other things that are going on. I think that it's equally as important and needs to be brought to the fourth forefront. I'm not saying that any of those other causes that I mentioned aren't important. They are, and they need to be discussed and they need to be brought to the forefront, but so does mental health. And that one's taking a back seat and the time that it shouldn't be taking a back seat because now more than ever, it needs to be brought to the front because so many people are silently suffering of it right now. And they, it is, is, is what I think a lot of the turmoil that we're all experiencing right now, it's a symptom of it. And it's just going to keep piling up over and over and over. And a lot of people uh, are not, are not giving its due attention and you need to get help. You need to talk to people. You need to get help. Uh, it, it's not embarrassing. You shouldn't be ashamed, right? You shouldn't be ashamed if this is happening because it's genetically something that happens. Again, I, I've been, you know, I'll be a little vulnerable here. Personally, I've been going through uh, for the last five years, my own mental I- issues where I never knew that this was a thing. And then it became a thing. And then I start doing a little research and I realize my entire lineage of family has all gone through this and they just buried it and blew it off. Right. And when I'm going through it right now, it makes a lot, I wish I would have known. I wish I'd known that this was coming. I wish I'd known how to recognize it. I wish I knew how to treat it. And uh, it's always been so shameful to talk about it that, well, let's not talk about my broken brain for a second. Uh, It's your, still your brain and your brain makes a lot of decisions for you. And it, a lot of times people feel like that's who you are, but you, everyone knows, Hey, don't talk to Bob today. Bob's having a bad day. Hey, uh, yeah, today's the right day to go talk to Danny. Danny is having a good day. Danny's on, on top of the world. These are all, you know, mental stability issues that happen throughout the day. And it's not just mood, you know, it's more than mood. And I, we talked a lot about in former positions I've been in what where burnout comes into play. Mm-hmm. Right. And now we start to move into this new world of work from home. Okay. And now there is no off switch and everyone's like, Oh, I love working from home. I can't, I don't have to, you know, comb my hair in the morning. I don't have to take a shower. Uh, I can turn my camera on or turn my camera off. I, I got my dog laying next to me. Everything's great. But what you don't do is shut off you know even the farmer 20 or 200 years ago knew when to unhitch the plow and go in and have dinner and and spend some time with his family we don't do that anymore right you read your emails you keep going you just keep going and you don't turn off and it's not healthy and it's nothing to be embarrassed about and if you're ever having any mental issues and I'm not, t- I mean, I'm talking about depression. I'm talking about panic attacks. I'm talking about um, when you feel like people start to say, hey, you know, 
you're not acting the same that you normally have. You need you 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 need to take note of that and and go talk to somebody about it, right? And I don't know. I just feel like it's such a um so taboo to talk about mental illness. It's it's more taboo than any of those other topics I talked about, right? BLM, um, you know, LGBTQ, you know, name whatever letter after it, because right? I can't keep up with it. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be uh, dismissive of, this, of the movement, but help address but all of those movements if you thought about mental health as the precursor for it. Because if you care about what somebody else says, that's affecting your mental health. That's right. I think a lot of the things we are dealing with as a nation and as a world are actually mental health issues that we need to deal with ourselves. Right. And, uh, just don't dismiss it. You know, go talk to a professional, talk to somebody about it. And maybe it's nothing. Maybe she's just a shitty person or maybe you're just an angry person. And maybe it's just a personality that professional should be able to call that out. And then there's, there's other, things that are happening that may need more treatment. And I'm not just saying pills. Pills are not the answer. All yeah, the time. You know I'm, not, I'm not saying medication. I'm yeah. saying you need to, you have to stretch your muscles before you work out. There's things you have to do to your brain too, to, to be able to function optimally. And that's what I'm talking about. So for whatever that's worth, it's a real thing. You know, and you're a shitty fucking person if you um, take a crap on anybody who's dealing with mental health issues. And you really need to, if you're dealing with anything like that, step up. If you notice anyone dealing with that, be sympathetic, be empathetic, be with them, help them get through it. That's my rant today. That's a good one, Liam. There are services out there like betterhelp.com where you can talk to a licensed therapist on a trial basis. There are a number of different places that you can go to seek professional health. More and more of the HMO, PPO, and health insurance organizations associated with corporate life accept mental health screening as a form of preventative measures. So there are solutions out there available and also there is simply having a confidant or a friend or somebody that you can talk to. Um, our aforementioned buddy that we talked about didn't feel like he could come to any of us because he had built up his own personal brand where taking a moment and saying, I'm having trouble might've violated his personal brand. And I think he was more concerned about what we would think of him rather than getting the help that he needed. And I remember personally being angry with him because I would have taken the call. I would have flown to the state that he lives in. I would have gone to see him. I would have tried to fly him not to me. I would have tried to find a way to get to him in his time of need because the first time that I talked to him in a number of months, I didn't talk to him. I talked to somebody else who told me the news. So mm -hmm. uh, I completely agree with what you're saying. And, and I don't want to dilute your point because I think it was very, very strong. What I will say is, uh, this whole thing with Simone Biles taking a break, uh, that's not a thing. And I don't want it to be turned into a thing. You should take a break. 
Mm-hmm. We're drinking from the fire hose. We have a 24 hour news cycle. We have social media. We have so much going on that you can't sit still. One of my favorite quotes from Pascal was most of the problems in the world are caused by man's inability to sit in the room alone. You yeah, have so good. too much of an, a need to do, to satisfy your anxiety, to worry about what people think, to do what you think you should be doing that I don't think enough people do with Simone Biles is just say, you know what? I'm going to take a break. Mm-hmm. And you can take a break from emails. You can take a break from phone calls. You can take a break from social media. You can simply stop what you're doing for a day or two or even a couple of hours. And guess what? Life will be there when you get back. So yeah, 100%. I promise you it will be. It will. 100%. Man. I'm with you on this one. That wraps up our show today. Mr. Jones, of course, could not join us because of audio problems, but we hope to have him back with us next week. Uh, of course, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at bottleofbrown at gmail.com. You can email Danny, you can email Leon, you can email Mr. Jones. We can talk about any of the topics you've heard. You can suggest content for us to look into. You can refute anything we said. If you want to leave us a voicemail, you can go to 602-529-4562. That's the Bottle of Brown voicemail line. And uh, it's good to be back in the saddle, buddy. Good to you see know. you again. We were gone for a long time. We're going to come back and try and do this regularly. We had a moment where we had to step away and and as Leon was just talking about, take care of real life. But we're back for you. We want to continue growing this thing. If you like what you heard, subscribe, share it with a friend. We want to get as many bobs as we can so that we can build a community around the things that we like. Brown, business, raising our kids, and dealing with life. So until next time, same brown time, same brown channel. Bottleofbrown.com. This place is dead anyway, man. <laughs>